Hello and welcome to CityWire Selector's new podcast series called Let's Talk About ESG. I'm Margarita Kirakosian, news editor at CityWire Selector, and joining me today is Eric Patterson, Head of Responsible Investments at Nordea Asset Management. CityWare Selectors team has just finished its ESG-dedicated magazine, and one of the topics I personally looked at was the EU taxonomy, which is a tool developed by the European Commission to help investors understand if companies they invest in are environmentally sustainable and how they contribute to the transition to a low-carbon economy. Has Nordea's responsible investments team already started looking into the new classification? We have been working a lot with the taxonomy and, and with the wider EU disclosure regulation uh, complex of, of new rules that's coming on. Uh, and and it's, um, you, you could say, actually it's client driven because you can, we, we still have a while uh, before we have to be able to, to, uh, to use it as such. Uh, it does provide us with a bit of information on, uh, you could say, what is the truth in, in at least some areas of, of uh, environmental and, and uh, climate questions where you always have this issue in ESG that it's, it's very much in the eye of the beholder here. The Commission has actually told us what is good and what is not, or what is green and what is not green. Um, and and clients have started asking us also if if, if uh, when when will we be able to mm. to uh, report on our on their portfolios and tell them you know which of the holdings are, are taxonomy compliant and which are not and we've done some analysis on on uh, individual funds that we have to see what is the level of compliance in theory today. Uh, and one of the things that we've run into is that uh, the the coverage of uh, the taxonomy because it only covers the, the green parts uh, so far uh, is actually not very wide. So, so in a typical ESG fund, maybe you'll have uh, something in the area of, of uh, 20 to uh, 30%, maybe 40, uh, if, 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 if it's a high number of, of the holdings for which the taxonomy is even relevant. So mm-hmm. all of the rest are going to be by definition neutral. And then out of those, uh, only maybe half of those or less are going to be compliant as it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so this idea of putting together together a, a taxonomy compliant uh, fund, as as you know, the idea with with the EU uh, with the green uh, label, what's it called again? Um, Eco label, uh, from my memory. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And where where if I remember correctly, the last. Uh, the last uh, information that came out was that that it would require sixty percent of the fund to be, uh, or of the holdings in the fund to be to be uh, taxonomy compliant. That's going to be very hard because there aren't really that many companies out there that that, that fulfill it. So it depends also whether you you do the sum at the company level, at the holding level, you do it at the activity level, and, and but but it's going to be hard to get to the sixty percent. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I've heard that view as well. And one thing that I've noticed that some companies are thinking of launching eco-label compliant funds whilst the regulation is through, whilst others are just kind of measuring how much of their output is kind of correspondent to the taxonomy. So which camp are you in? Are, are you doing both or you are for now concentrating on breaking down how much, what is the percentage of what is compliant that the taxonomy? I think if we, can, if we can see that it makes sense and if we see a client demand, we're, we're, we'll be ready to try and, 
and, and put together a, a label compliant portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way, at least so far, analysis is that it's going to be very hard to have uh, anything with, with, with you know, the kind of diversification that you would normally uh, want in, in, in an investment product. So, so I think to begin with, even for clients, the focus will be, and it's from the big institutional clients that we've had the questions really not so much from, 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 from the retail uh, distribution channel, uh, that they would want to see the portfolios that they have today and, 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 and see you know, which part of those holdings in those portfolios are taxonomy compliant and uh, more or less where are you in percentages, but, but not so much. We haven't had anyone ask us so far to, to, to put together a, uh, a product which was uh, purely based on, on, uh, on the taxonomy. Mm -hmm. I see. And then whether it's even possible, you know, that's a good question. Yes. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is that you uh, partnered with NASDAQ to be able to measure the impact of the mixed asset portfolios from what I understood. Is that mm -hmm. part of your effort again of measuring impact for the EU regulation or this is something completely separate? It's it's separate and it's it's really something that Nadia Bank has done, uh, which we're looking at also whether we can can uh, do for Nadia's funds when they're distributed through other banks. But it's it's very much a uh, a kind of reporting for the retail end user. So it's not something that we use in in, in our ESG investment process at all. Uh, it's, it's it's something where you you take afterwards and look at the portfolios because the bank has put together some, some uh, sustainable or ESG uh, portfolios that they offer to their clients. And then they want to be able to report to the clients what is exactly you know, the number of uh, trips to Thailand or uh, the number of hot showers that, 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 uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> that I'm avoiding the CO2 emission of by investing this way rather than, than, than uh, in a traditional way. Uh, and I think it's fantastic because that that, that really it, it brings the client, the end user, on board to understand you know what's the difference between having a footprint that's like this big or or, or just like this. But but it's important to understand that that is it's a kind of reporting which is more like taking an X-ray of the end product, but it doesn't really relate to how do we select the the, the investments in the funds. It's two very different things. Mm -hmm. Eric, uh, when it comes to your work, obviously EU taxonomy is actually a bit further along the line. It's more removed in terms of timing. So what is on your radar right now? Are there any projects that you are working on at the moment and why right now, for example? I think that there are maybe three things that are uh, taking up our time. The first is, is the parts of the uh, EU disclosure regulation under the, the sustainable mm -hmm. finance uh, program that, that are coming online earlier than, than the taxonomy itself. Uh, so the parts about uh, uh, having to disclose, uh, for example, principal uh, adverse impacts uh, about having to disclose which products are uh, Article 8 and Article 9 uh, and, and, and the disclosures that follow that. So we're, we're spending a lot of time on that. Then, of course, with, with the corona uh, crisis and the pandemic that we have in the moment, we, we have a project where uh, we're, we're trying to measure uh, and follow up on the impact on companies and how they behave uh, under this, this pressure that they're under right now. Uh, there's a strong uh, ESG angle, you could say, in making sure that companies actually stick to, to, to what they have said that they would do. Uh, when, when they come in a situation like this where maybe they're a bit challenged or not just a bit, they're actually very challenged. 
uh, most of them. So, so, so there we've uh, signed um, an investor statement with a lot of other big investors uh, to do with with employee safety, uh, with mm. with uh, uh, maintaining employment, uh, with with uh, making sure that the companies have the financial resilience that they need to have by. For instance, uh, holding back on uh, share repurchases and, and, and dividends and so on. So, so that's something, and, and it's something that we're talking to companies about. Mm. Uh, that you know, companies that we would be engaging with anyway in, in another context. We we bring up this uh, corona thing, and we also have have uh, companies that, that that we approach directly because we observe uh, some 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 changes in behavior. You could say based on. Uh, yeah, because of the corona crisis, uh, because of the pressures that that puts on them. And how do the companies uh, actually respond to that? Uh, because one of the uh, critiques, for example, of the European regulation in particular, is that certain uh, data points is just very difficult to obtain, or the companies either don't know they have to report on them or are not willing to report on them. So when you are trying to implement this uh, assessment that you're doing at the moment, uh, do you, are you getting positive feedback? Are you actually getting what you're asking for? We are from, from most of the companies that we talk to, and that's that's a general, uh, I think, question in ESG, that, that the companies are uh, sometimes, you know, a bit slower or even unwilling to, to report uh, officially on, on, on ESG parameters. Uh, They'll have to, at least European companies will have to very soon because of, of the NFRD and, and how that is being uh, strengthened. But, but uh, when you talk to them as an investor and when you're dealing with, with, the, uh, uh, with the investor relations department where, where you, know, you, you have people whose job it is to get to the information and to make the company look attractive, uh, they, they will typically uh, try and get the right executives to, to talk to uh, into the room and, and, and have the conversation. So, so you're right that it would be better and it will be, I think, in the future a lot better in terms of having systematic information that you can follow over a period of time from point to point and see what is the development. But, but at least what we can do now is, is we, can, we can get uh, companies to, to explain things to us on an ad hoc basis. Uh, and then, then, of course, it's up to us to make sure that we ask the same questions and that we follow up on those questions that we have asked also uh, on an ongoing basis when we talk to them. Mm -hmm. One big thing that I noticed, and I wonder what you think about it, but when you think about ESG, it definitely means more reporting. So if not uh, cost consuming, it's definitely time consuming. And when yes. I think about uh, smaller companies, so for example, in the investment universe, that will be smaller boutiques and or there works with some for example in the white labeling space or just ge more generally smaller companies might find it a little bit tricky to keep up with the paperwork and stay afloat given the environment so are you concerned about smaller businesses in this context do you mean smaller businesses as as companies we would invest in or smaller businesses in the asset management uh, um, well, let's start with those that you invest with, uh, with and uh, then continue with, with the asset management industry. I, I think if you're in the listed equity space, then, then typically companies will be big enough. Uh, also, that I think you should be able to, to, to you know, make demands and, and, and hold them to a certain standard. So there, I'm not so worried. Uh, in one area where you could have 
and where we also have challenges, by the way, in getting data, getting back to your question before, is in the high yield space, for instance, where you have smaller companies that are unlisted uh, that are not maybe used to, to providing the market with very much information, <laughs> except, you know, if, 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 they, if they can stay inside of their covenants, then, <laughs> then the investor is happy normally. Uh, there you can have a challenge, I guess, but, but I, think, um, I think what the commission is trying to do and what we are trying to do is really to, uh, to get uh, all of the companies that we invest in to up their game and, and, and just, just because you, uh, you, know, you feel that it's a hassle that you have to report, uh, I don't think that's an excuse, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And what about the asset management industry? Because I know that uh, Nordea sometimes does team up with smaller boutiques. And one problem I might see here is that they will just not have enough hands to like do all the reports and or be able to track all the changes that relate to ESG investing. So is that yeah. a bit of a concern when it comes to third party partners, for example? Yeah, uh, it, I guess it could be, uh, in theory, of uh, as you said, of the, the, the really uh, sort of very specialized boutiques uh, that, that, that don't have the administrative apparatus to, to, to deal with this, uh, this tsunami of, of regulation <laughs> that's, that's about to hit us, which is, of which we feel already the first uh, kind of small waves. But uh, if not, then, then probably we'll be able to help them. Uh, or or you know they'll find someone else who can help them consultancies maybe or something but but i think it, it if, if what you're asking about is whether whether this could drive consolidation or could drive some smaller boutiques into the arms of some bigger players uh, i think that's definitely a, a a possibility or a risk depending on how you look at it uh, because it's it is hard i mean it's it's, it's becoming more and more demanding uh, and, and some of the latest things we've seen from the commission, which I hope, um, uh, yeah, we'll find our way around and maybe maybe they'll, they'll lighten up a little bit. But, but the way it looks right now, it's, it's very, very detailed information, uh, very quantitative also. And, and, and as you said before, uh, things that are not even reported by the companies we invest in today. So, so it's a bit of an open question how... I will get all this information. I, I don't want to whine though, because I think uh, I think all of this is good, and I think it's good that the commission is is, is uh, you know taking the lead and, and uh, getting uh, the finance industry to to, uh, uh, to 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 come into sustainability really uh, uh, fully like like they are. But uh, yeah, I won't lie to you and say that it's easy because mm -hmm. it's not. So. No, no, of course. Um, one of the big talking points as well in the space is generally data availability and specifically um, I would say that you've mentioned high yield, uh, that high yield data is not there and one big thing is data, is your data monopoly pretty much because you have one or two big players and they keep on kind of put, putting their hats together and uh, you know their capabilities together so uh, is there kind of like a risk of concentration in terms of data that you have on offer, let's say, and how do you circumnavigate it? I think, uh, I don't think it's fair to say one or two. I'd say uh, there's a handful of, mm -hmm. of big players and there are some smaller ones, and especially uh, if, if you don't insist that you want everything from the same provider, then, then there are a lot of smaller providers that, uh, and also uh, ones that are more, really coming from the NGO space or from, 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 uh, from the activist space that provide a lot of data. So, so I think data is there. Um, 
of course, there, there are some types of companies, and especially uh, smaller companies. Now we we talked about high yield, but but in the fixed income can fixed income space generally, that it's harder to get the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then that just means that uh, we have to to work harder and spend a bit of time and, and um, make sure that we get closer to those companies and try and try and uh, sort of extract that information from them so that we can uh, make an evaluation. And you probably know that we do our own in-house uh, ESG scoring for for uh, uh, sort of our flagship stars funds. Mm-hmm. Um, the stars funds are the the, the the range where we have. Uh, the most active and the most in-depth ESG analysis. We have several tiers of, of, of products uh, where you, you start with the general uh, kind of, of uh, uh, knowledge-based exclusion and, and so on, which exclusion of co-producers and so on, which we have on all our funds. Then we move to the next level where it's, it's, it's uh, you could say, the regular strategies, but screened with some heavier screens where you take out, uh, for instance, all fossil fuel producers, distributors, and so on. Uh, and then, then really, the tip of the pyramid, the the, the creme de la creme, if you want, <laughs> is, is the task funds where where we have analysts from my team working hand in hand with with uh, the financial analysts and the portfolio management teams, uh, in, in 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 looking at each and every holding, uh, more or less. Uh, in fixed income, we're still lagging a bit, but but on the equity side, we we, we really have it. Uh, so that, that, that we have our own uh, full analysis of, of each holding and we engage with all the companies in the, in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's just, the, you know, that's what you have to do. Uh, I would say that in, in the areas where you don't have enough information from external providers, that actually opens up space for, for those asset managers who are really serious about mm-hmm. ESG to do their own analysis and to do the digging themselves. And that gives you a competitive advantage. A little bit like under-researched uh, small cap companies, uh, if, if you invest in that space, uh, you know, you're going to have to spend some time going out there, finding out what that company does, because they're not even listed maybe on one of the big exchanges. They're not, uh, uh, you, you can't find a broker who does a report on them, well, then you have to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. um, Eric, you took on the role at the end of last, year, uh, if memory serves me well. Uh, So what were the main key objectives when you started and what are the main priorities at the moment? Because you changed things a little bit and I just wanted to understand why were you making changes and where they were crucial. Uh, But uh, they weren't really very big changes. I think that's important to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I came in, it was more a question of of, of getting more hands uh, and, and and minds into that team because uh, a lot of demand is being put on the team. It's a large team of of uh, we're 16 people now uh, in the RI team in Nadea, and it's important to say that that they are all working with either uh, ESG analysis or, or engagement. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's we're not counting a lot of admin staff and saying that they're also ESG. So. All of the people in our middle office who do the screening and all that, we're not counting those. This is the real sort of hardcore uh, responsible investments ESG team. And uh, it, it's gotten to a size, and that's really what I wanted to do, uh, that, that I had gotten to a size where we needed to assign some responsibilities uh, to, 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 to some individuals uh, in the sense that so far that team has been working really as, as one big group. 
Uh, it still does. We still have uh, meetings uh, at least weekly for the whole team where we go through all of the cases that we're working with. Mm -hmm. uh, but for instance, on engagement, so we, we, we did a separate engagement uh, team or cluster uh, where the responsibility for the engagement process for, for keeping track of, you know, which companies have we spoken to, what did we discuss with them, what were the results, uh, keeping up with documentation and all that, that is taken care of by that group. They also do the thematic engagement. So when we talk to companies that are not necessarily in the stars funds, but just the holdings uh, in, in Nordea generally, we pick some, uh, we pick 30 companies that we talked to, uh, to about uh, TCFD, Mm -hmm. uh, companies that are not in the Climate Action 100, so, so, so you know, another group where we think it was important to get them to commit. Uh, that is also done out of that group, uh, our pharma engagement, uh, which, which uh, was a very important success, that's also done out of that group. But, but, but the, the guys who work with the STARS funds directly as analysts also do engagement. Mm -hmm. and they coordinate with the uh, engagement guys, but but it's just that the engagement group has the responsibility for that process. And then, you know, the, the, the team that does uh, the, the in-depth analysis of the companies of the stars has that responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have a couple of guys who work with the quant, but who sit in again on all of the meetings because what, what they do is that they maintain and develop the model that we have, which, which uh, supports the scoring that we do. So it's an in-house model. And there's no way that they could sit alone in a cupboard and do that. So, so of course, they have to sit yes. with all the rest. So it's really mm -hmm. uh, more of a saying that, okay, you are now the, the person or the persons in charge of, of that part of what we do. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll keep the rest of us updated on how we should do this. Uh, uh, but it's not that, that they're the only ones who do it because everyone does it, right? So, for instance, for, for, for uh, the quant model, when we do parameter reviews to make sure that, that we don't get funny results out of the model, mm -hmm. everyone part of that as well. So the analysts take out a couple of hours and go through uh, the results and all the holdings that they have and say, okay, does, does this correspond with what I would expect? And we check it against the ratings that, that, that this company, for instance, would have from some of the external data providers. Uh, and, and of course, uh, we don't want them to be the same because then we don't contribute anything, but, but mm -hmm. we also don't want to see uh, that we give something a green light, which, for instance, has a red light with ISS ethics. So that's um, a big collaborative effort, basically. Very, very collaborative. And, and, and when it looks like, you know, these four little teams, uh, it's, it's not really four little teams. It's, it's just that, that someone has that hat on and someone has that hat on, but, but everybody works together. Mm -hmm. Zoom in on engagement. Also, yeah. <laughs> Zoom in on engagement a little bit. Uh, if you look back at how many months we had of 2020, uh, what would you mark as the biggest engagement success in this time frame and why? Yeah, it depends. I mean, there's, there's one which I'm really very, very proud of, uh, which I can't take the honor for because it goes back uh, a long time, uh, but, but, but which keeps uh, sort of uh, delivering results now. And that's that's the, the pharmaceutical supply chain initiative uh, that was actually launched partially on the initiative of Nordea Asset Management. Uh, we had a, uh, some years back a field trip to, to Hyderabad in India, uh, doing inspections really of, of some pharmaceutical companies that, that um, are um, 
outsourcing partners to some of the big international names. So, so uh, I'll say Pfizer or some will have their, their some of their uh, medications uh, made in, in India or in China with with uh, a producer there. Um, and we we went and talked to a lot of these companies and and, and found you know that that while there was really good focus on the product safety parts, uh, which you can understand because those pills were then going to be sold in, in other parts of the world. Uh, the, the local environmental uh, impact of, of that production was, was really not managed very well. Uh, and so we went into a process with, with a number of pharmaceutical companies and, and, and set up this uh, pharmaceutical supply chain initiative, which, which now counts uh, uh, a number of the big names in the industry. Uh, and we are still part of it and still facilitating that to a certain extent. So I think that's that's one of the areas where where we really made a difference. And mm -hmm. it, it's it's also one of those areas where it, it you know it feels you did a good thing. Uh, obviously, we did for for the local population in those areas and for the people working in, in uh, uh, with those pharmaceutical producers. Uh, but but it's also a risk management exercise because now you know the risk of owning the pharmaceutical companies has been reduced because you've taken this risk out of the supply chain that was there before. So, so it's it's a brilliant example of how a focus on ESG is both risk management and and, and uh, uh, scores points, you know, on the ethical side at the same time. So that one I'm extremely proud of. Then, as for this year, uh, as you said, I've been in the job for for five months, but but uh, the TCFD engagement that we're running, we got. Um, uh, and I won't take the credit for it alone, but, but Verizon committed uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, or a month ago to, to uh, reporting according to TCFD, and we had been in uh, a long dialogue with them on that. So I think uh, that that's one that I would mark up, at least that happened while I was there. Uh, but then, I'll, I mean, I'll credit the team and not myself because I have... It's a privilege to be able to or to have gotten the opportunity to manage this team because I have such great people here and. Uh, I'm really, really proud of, of, of the way they work and what they do. So uh, um, most of them are a lot more uh, accomplished in this than I am. Uh, I just wanted to give them that credit. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. That sounds great. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.